Welcome back to the Alternate Oscars. I am your host, Gabe Guarin, and with every episode, I, along with a special guest, will be celebrating and rewarding our favorite films of each year, starting in 1928. We'll discuss our brief thoughts on each film we nominate, and comment on the actual Oscar year and some fun details on the ceremony. A few rules we always follow. We will be strictly following the reminder list of eligible releases. Those can be found on the website and the Oscar goes too. The amount of categories will also grow over time as a sort of tie-in to the Academy's evolution over time. And one last thing to note, from 1927 to 1933 and most recently in 2020, the Academy has had double years for varying reasons. We will not be doing such on this podcast as I feel it would be a bit of a disservice to both years to do that. With all that said, I would like to welcome Ben Miller to this podcast. He is the author of the blog Ice Cream for Freaks and a writer for the film experience, as well as a freelance podcaster. Ben, it is such an honor to have you on this podcast. I'm really excited to talk about this year in particular. Gabe, thank you so very much for having me. I'm honored to be on board as well. Um, it's it's uh, I really enjoyed your podcast uh, in the last couple of years just because the you know, I really liked your uh, uh, 19, uh, 1930, uh, 1929 episode where you essentially went through the whole thing and were just like, okay, these, these movies are terrible, but we tried our best. Yeah. <laughs> 1929 was a bad year. Yeah, yeah. And we struggled with that one. I get it. I get it. Yeah. So how are you doing today? How's your day, Ben? I'm doing well. I uh, can't complain. I'm about ready to go on vacation, but uh, in the meantime, trying to stay tunnel visioned and uh, on on the eye on the prize of vacation. But in the meantime, I get to talk to you, so I get to talk about all these great films. So I can't complain. That sounds good. So today we are going to be talking about the films of 1932, and I thought I should start by asking, what were your favorite films from this year that were not eligible? This applies to any film that was released in 1932, but under the binary system would not qualify for this awards year. Well, um, I had a lot of uh, 1931s that overlapped. Uh, <laughs> essentially, this Oscar year was uh, the Oscar year of the ceremony that took place in 1932 is so heavy with 1931 films. There are a ton that I really love that I never got the opportunity to watch that I didn't get an opportunity to include in this. Um, Paramount among those is the Guardsman, uh, a the slapstick comedy uh, that I loved from back in the day. Uh, that from back then, it's kind of hard to find, but man, if you find it out, it's it's, it's a great laugh. It's a uh, it's a great time. It would have been my favorite film if it was eligible on this list, but uh, but uh, a lot of the 1931 films. But uh, as far as something that was not eligible, I'm I pretty much stick to Oscar eligible stuff. I see there. So I guess for me, I really enjoyed Jean Renoir's Voodoo Saved from Drowning, which is a really funny sort of social satire that influenced films like My Man Godfrey mm. in the years to come. And you can definitely see that if you had watched something like My, My Man Godfrey before Voodoo Saved from Drowning. And I think it really holds up. I'm gonna have to check that out. I believe that's uh, down and out in Beverly Hills. Uh, the film in the '80s was uh, that's what it was based off of. I've seen that film, but I uh, have not seen that one. I need to connect those two. I have not seen Down and Out in Beverly Hills, actually. But that said, 
let's dive into our nominees, starting with sound recording. You go first, Ben. Yes, sir. My nominees for best sound recording are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Shanghai Express, A Farewell to Arms, The Mummy, and Scarface. Um, those The films like Scarface and The Mummy are kind of straightforward as far as the sound recording. You know, when you have a movie like Scarface and there's so many, uh, you know, just think of even outside the obvious gunplay and the various things along those lines, just every time you hear a slap, it's, it just, it cackles. Um, same thing with the kind of monster movies like the mummy farewell to arms and Shanghai express are those grand scope films. And you always get some great sound from that. And Dr. And Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, he really uses the sound recording to uh, enhance the story outside of uh, the main actors. What about you, Gabe? That all sounds really good. My nominees for best sound recording are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, A Farewell to Arms, I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Game, The Mummy, and Scarface. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and The Mummy both understand the importance of sound in horror movies, creating all sorts of different dynamics. I think A Farewell to Arms does a lot of interesting techniques with its sound, especially in the war scenes. Again, there is a great sense of dynamics. I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang is more subtle. And Scarface hits you in the face and the ears with a barrage of gunfire. And every ounce of that sound just, like you said, just crackles. Just, it's so visceral. I agree. So next up is Best Art Direction. My nominees for Best Art Direction are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Shanghai Express, A Farewell to Arms, Grand Hotel, and What Price Hollywood. Um, a lot of these films are grand in scope in far as what they want to do and what they are trying to do. Um, they, take a, they take a lot of uh, different angles in order to use the sets around them and the uh, and the and the settings they're in to enhance the story especially like a, a film like what price hollywood which it which i, I almost i almost uh, wanted to knock it down a peg just because it's so film centric and i said ah, i can't can't be that tough to get all those kind of sets to look like they're on a film set but at the same time and uh, i really like the atmosphere set by places like shanghai express and grand hotel that have uh have their central central setting is almost a character the shanghai express being obviously the train and the grand hotel being the hotel and then dr jekyll and mr hyde you know they it, it's really easy to be just focused on the you know oh the lab and the cool little things like that but even even the thing like the apartment of the young girl is such is so interestingly put together in the various ways they do things uh, it's not just outside the 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 obvious effects um is one of the more impressive parts to me what about you I think you bring up a lot of good points about your nominees. So for my nominees, I have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, A Farewell to Arms, Grand Hotel, Anus La Liberté, and Sign of the Cross. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is obvious in that it has to look off kilter and creepy, almost bipolar, fitting in line with its central character, and gothic as well. I think A Farewell to Arms really succeeds in conveying a sense of almost classical romanticism. 
Grand Hotel has its main selling point in that glorious hotel, the titular Grand Hotel. A new La Liberté I found almost postmodern in its sensibilities. And Sign of the Cross is just gloriously campy. All the sets are just hugely over the top, and that milk bath scene is a particular highlight of just the creativity and how fun this movie is. So those are my nominees. Fine set. So next up is Best Cinematography. My nominees are Shanghai Express, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, A Farewell to Arms, uh, Grand Hotel, and Emma. Now, a couple of these are not exactly ones that uh, you would think to yourself, oh, you know, this is definitely a cinematography specific movie. But uh, Emma being the chief among them, it's just kind of a basic, uh, a basic human interest story. But as far as I'm concerned, it's uh, it, it, it conveys things in a very interesting way. The uh, the way uh, it moves through certain places the way it uh, it compares her to the other members of the family. Uh, I'll gush over Marie Dressler later in the later in the episode. But uh, and then uh, Grand Hotel and Farewell to Arms, Shanghai Express, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, almost on the same thing of art direction. They're such grand scopes. These these cinematographers have to show it in such a way that it conveys what needs to be put across on the film and every single one of those does it in such a great way big shout out obviously to dr jekyll and mr hyde with the cinematography slash makeup of the main actor in order to uh, make those transfer uh, transformations work all of that works so well in those uh, scenes um in this and the transformation scenes themselves cinematography is a big part of how what makes that so seamless i would agree with all of that I think all five of your nominees have very distinctive looks. So my nominees are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, A Farewell to Arms, Grand Hotel, Scarface, and Shanghai Express. I'll just co-sign what you said about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde the way that the cinematography and the makeup coincide to fully bring the monster to life. And then A Farewell to Arms, it has many of the trademarks you would think of when it comes to a Frank Borsage production. It all looks very heavenly, and that closing shot is a great example of the sort of tone this movie has. And then Grand Hotel just is opulent in its ambitions, and the way it lenses the titular hotel, the choices of shots and angles. Scarface almost feels sort of like a war scene at times with the way it's shot, like it almost goes high scale. And then there's Shanghai Express. It deserves a mention just for that famous shot of Marlena Dietrich smoking. Just that scene alone will sell it. (laughs) I'm with you. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So next is Best Adaptation. Yes, my nominees are A Farewell to Arms, Scarface, Grand Hotel, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and Shanghai Express. Um, A lot of these, when you think of the adaptation, especially in the terms of uh, A Farewell to Arms, it's, it's almost more difficult to try to, like, how much do you want to adhere to the book? Do you want to keep it exactly like you expect? Or do you want to uh, steer away? And they, they, they balanced it so well. 
and uh, it comes across so well. Um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is the one that really stands out for me just because it's such a basic story and it was brought in such an interesting way through the adaptation of it. And it's not just, it's not just the story of man's duality. It kind of goes a little, goes so much deeper than that and has some really uh, interesting things to say. And uh, I, I just really like the writing in Grand Hotel, the, the, you know, the, the interplay between the characters and those uh, type of things. Uh, what about you, Gabe? I agree with all the points you brought up. I think each of your nominees do something interesting and different with their screenplays. And my nominees are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Grand Hotel, I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, Scarface, and Trouble in Paradise. I think that Trouble in Paradise does such a good job at setting the dynamics between the love triangle and showing us how these characters can emotionally affect one another and deceive one another. Scarface brings out all the pulp and the basics and makes it much more than it has any right to be. I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang really makes you feel the terror that James Allen has to go through. And then Grand Hotel just revels in its melodrama, the way all its characters are interacting with one another. And then there's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which takes such a simple story and makes it feel so much more substantial than it would otherwise feel. Fantastic nominees. So next is Best Original Story. My nominees for Best Original Story are Lady and Gent, What Price Hollywood, The Mummy, Horse Feathers, and Emma. Um, I, I will have to say that uh, a majority of uh, when it comes to best original story, there was a uh, there was seemed to be a little of a, of a glut, uh, at least for the films, uh, many of the films that I saw. But uh, that being said, um, Horse Feathers is just a classic Marx Brothers and it's so much fun and so funny and, uh, you know, kind of kind of kind of gets uh, points taken off a little bit for the uh, assumed uh, assumed you know, improvis improvisation of the Marx Brothers, but at the same time, still a great time. Um, what Price Hollywood is such an interesting uh, story in of itself because it's so original that it is a completely original idea that pretty much A Star is Born, four adaptations ripped off almost exactly. Um, it's, it's, it's like a platonic love story of A Star is Born. And uh, that's, that's kind of how I view it as far as and, and I believe there's a lawsuit based off of it, but, but it was such an original, interesting idea that it obviously spawned to other things. Um, Emma is such an interesting idea just because it's such a, uh, such a different type of heroine you see in films, especially in these type of days. And then uh, Lady and Gent went in such interesting directions and uh, an original way for uh, the dynamic between a man and a woman and a couple and a child and just living their lives. Um, it, it was I like being surprised when it comes to original stories and truly original ideas. And uh, it was one of those things. You do bring up a lot of good points. When it comes to something like What Price Hollywood, I can definitely see how all the Stars Born adaptations would crib from it. It does feel a bit primitive and like it came from 1932. It does feel a little backwards looking. Yeah. 
yeah. technologically wise, but there is a good story at its heart. So my nominees are Horse Feathers, Anus La Liberté, Merrily We Go to Hell, The Mummy, and Shanghai Express. I think that Shanghai Express, the script is perhaps less important, but at the same time, I feel like it does a good enough job in taking us through this sensual mood that is a typical Joseph von Sternberg production, especially through this train. The Mummy is just a great horror film with a lot of atmosphere. Merrily We Go to Hell shows us how destructive alcoholism can be in a rather deceptively entertaining and stylized way, courtesy of Dorothy Arzner. Anus La Liberté is one of two really fun Renee Claire movies, musicals from this year. And Horse Feathers, like you said, is just classic Marx Brothers, and it's so funny. And it's just a pleasant time. Absolutely. So next is Best Actress. My nominees for Best Actress are Constance Bennett for What Price Hollywood, uh, Wynne Gibson for Lady and Gent, Joan Crawford for Grand Hotel, Marlene Dietrich for Shanghai Express, and Marie Dressler for Emma. Um, a lot of these are, some of these are uh, smaller than what you would expect, not really necessarily the movie star performances, but um, I I obviously like What Price Hollywood uh, a little more than you do, but uh, man, Constance Bennett was so great in that film and conveying the, uh, you know, like I said, it's the Star is Born comparison, kind of looking at it based off of a idea of, uh, you know, the Barbara Streisand, Judy Garland, Lady Gaga lens, but still she brought it her own and she made it original to herself. Um, Wynne Gibson is so great in uh, Lady and Gent as being the seductress, but at the same time uh, adapting to the motherly motherly role. Um, Marlena Dietrich and Joan Crawford are such movie stars in their performances. Um, they do such a great job in their particular roles. Uh, Joan Crawford, especially, man, when I saw her come on screen, she about knocked me over in Grand Hotel. And Marie Dressler and Emma, it's such an interesting part and such a unique part for an actress. And I, I love that Marie Dressler got to be famous back then at her age and um, the persona that she is. And she's so captivating in Emma and just breaks your heart. Lady and Gent is one of those movies I didn't get the chance to see, but I highly recommend it. Uh, I will, I may check it out at some point, but the other four, I think I'll give really good performances and I can see why you picked them. So my nominees are Helen Hayes for Farewell to Arms, Joan Crawford for Grand Hotel, Marlena Dietrich for Shanghai Express, Kay Francis for Trouble in Paradise, and Miriam Hopkins for Trouble in Paradise. I think the Trouble in Paradise ladies strike up a really good dynamic. 
and also conveyed the collective insecurity about how they are basically conversing with this man and how this whole sort of relationship is turning out and the trickery that goes into it. Marlena Dietrich is giving one of those classic star performances or she's just the most captivating presence in the room aside from, say, Anna Mae Wong, who's a great scene stealer. And then Joan Crawford plays a plucky plays a plucky photographer, and she's one of many fun faces in the movie. And it's she's just stunning and really captivating. And then Helen Hayes, I think, has good chemistry with Gary Cooper, and really fits this sort of tragic romance quite well let, let me ask uh, sorry, sorry sorry not to interrupt uh, uh sorry go and do that helen hayes part again i didn't mean to interrupt you sorry and then helen hayes really understands the vitality of this tragic romance quite well and has good chemistry with gary cooper and expresses so much with those eyes of hers So I'm curious of the two ladies of trouble in paradise, which is the one you prefer of the two is, or is this like a Thelma and Louise situation where you can't really choose between Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon. They're so entwined, or do you have a preference of the two? Uh, it feels unfair to choose between the two, I guess, Miriam Hopkins, but yeah, I guess Miriam Hopkins, but I'll reveal more when I choose my actual winner. Oh, good to know. Good to know. Uh, just a, a quick aside, I would have Miriam Hopkins as a supporting actress nominee if the supporting actress category was a thing in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, she's really good in that too. Yeah. She had a great year this year. Everything I saw, she was great. Yes, absolutely. Shall we move I, on to best act? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Didn't interrupt you. Go ahead. I just, I love what she did in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm -hmm. She just brings such a sensuality to that performance and a feverishness absolutely it turns on a dime she's so she's she's such a uh to jekyll she's so different than she is to hide and it's like two different humans much less two different performances or the the effect it's the same performing performers uh remarkable it is so next is best actor my nominees for best actor are gary cooper in a farewell to arms Frederick Marsh in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Paul Muni in Scarface, Clive Brook in Shanghai Express, and George Bancroft in Lady and Gent. Paul Muni in Scarface is obviously the, uh, he's, he's so, um, he paints such a portrait of this guy and this kind of evil, essentially, but at the same time, um, He's still Paul Muni, and he's so watchable, and so you 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 can't help but cheer for the guy. Um, with uh, Gary Cooper is one of those. It's just like how Marlena Dietrich and Joan Crawford had their uh, movie stars. That's what Gary Cooper was in *A Farewell to Arms*. Um, Clyde Brook was one of the quieter performances. Uh, I just I was really drawn to, but his performance in *Shanghai Express*. Um, I don't think the film works without how well and sturdy he makes it and his uh his interplay with marlena dietrich is so great um 
I really was impressed with George Bancroft as kind of an aw shucks uh, boxer to start off the film in Lady and Gent. Lady and Gent really turns at a second half. It's it's uh, you kind of think of it's one film and it kind of turns into an entirely different film. But he turns from so such a uh, kind of a big doof and uh, a lumbering buffoon into a real sweetheart of a man. And uh, it's, it's one of, it's, it's a performance that brings a smile to my face. And as Frederick Marsh, um, and I'm sure we'll go on and on about him later, but I mean, he's so good as both characters in Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. He's so deviously evil and lurid as Hyde, but man, he's so refined as Jekyll and so remorseful. It's uh, it's, it's a masterful performance to go back and forth. I agree with all of that. And it is interesting to think that Paul Muni was in both Scarface and I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang. I think those are two distinctively different performances and show his range quite effectively. From a desperate man on the run in Fugitive from Chain Gang to this corrupt gangster in Scarface. I had issues with certain performances from him in other roles. I was no big fan of his great important man prestige performances in William D. Terrell biopics like The Life of a Mule Zola. I, I and- knew you are going to bring it up, yep. <laughs> I believe in previous episodes you have you, you have spoken poorly of his performance in that and and it's it's a it's a valid argument I understand yeah yeah and then the story of Louis Pasteur like yeah yes but he really impresses here absolutely he seems like he's better suited for contemporary roles mm, yes so my nominees are. Frederick March for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Gary Cooper for A Farewell to Arms, Rene Lefebvre for Lemillion, Paul Mooney in Scarface, and Herbert Marshall for Trouble in Paradise. Like you said about Frederick March, he... Handling this dual personality is so difficult because he has to be a charming, sensitive, considerate person than Dr. Jekyll and then Mr. Hyde is just this cruel, evil monster. And he makes you believe that those two different personalities could be one and of themselves. And then Gary Cooper is brings a sturdy sort of anchor to the movie and he doesn't feel flat as he wouldn't say like Sergeant York. He does bring a certain likable nobility, I believe. And then Rene Lefebvre brings an everyman quality to the sort of abstract zaniness of Rene Clair's musical. And then Paul Muni is just menacing and has so many sick obsessions and Muni just revels in it and He's such a force to be reckoned with. And then Herbert Marshall in Trouble in Paradise has to play along with the con game that the two women he's involved with are playing, but also bring a sturdiness. Again, he's almost feels like an anchor in this triangle, spider webs and twisted stories. 
I do have to say about Gary Cooper, you know, it's funny. I was, I, I, I really liked him in A Farewell to Arms, and then I watched a, another Gary Cooper movie simultaneously uh, around the same time, uh, Saratoga Trunk from 1946. <laughs> And it is, uh, it's, it's difficult to kind of keep like, so for, if, if, if any listeners have uh, seen Saratoga Trunk, um, it's, it would be a perfectly fine movie if not for a single character. Um, there is a, a character named Angelique, uh, who is, uh, played by a white woman in blackface the whole time. And it pretty much destroys the entire movie, no matter what Gary Cooper does or how good he actually is in a movie. Um, I didn't care because the movie was so despicable. And and watching A Farewell to Arms and Saratoga Trunk so close together, it kind of skewed that a bit. Uh, yeah. I do not look forward to watching Saratoga Trunk. Oh uh, man, it is a it is a venture. Um, if like, it's one of those things, it's like okay, I can just push past it. You really just can't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> anyway, I'm trying to get. So, next is best director. Yes, my nominees for Best Director are Howard Hawks in Scarface, Edmund Golding for Grand Hotel, uh, Ruben Mamoulian for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Stephen Roberts in Lady and Gent, and Josef von Sternberg for Shanghai Express. Um, A lot of these are so grand and, uh, pardon the pun, no pun intended for grand for like Grand Hotel, but I mean... They're they're not small little little bitty stories. Shanghai Express, Doctor Jekyll, Scarface, Grand Hotel. They're big sprawling uh, cast and doing big sprawling things. Very lot lots of intricacies. And all these directors seem to have such a great, a, a perfect grasp on everything that's going on. For Stephen Roberts, I really appreciated what he did as far as turning the film and. Like I said, it, it, it kind of t- it's almost two films connected, and there's a, there's it's the film at the beginning is you okay you have an idea of what the kind of film is going to be, and then at the end it's a completely different type of film, and the way he is able to mold that in a way to seamlessly uh, just go from one side to the other, and then you look back and you're like oh that all kind of connected. It was just a, a a wonderful job by him, and I was really impressed by it. Again, valid points. So my nominees are Ruben Mamoulian for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Edmund Golding for Grand Hotel, Howard Hawks for Scarface, Joseph von Sternberg for Shanghai Express, and Ernst Lubitsch for Trouble in Paradise. Ah, uh, I thought we were going to go five for five. We were so close. Ah. Uh, Oh, remember, I haven't seen Lady and Jen, so I'll give you that. So, I think these are very complicated stories on screen, despite some of the simplicities. And I think all five directors handle them very well and use a lot of visual language to communicate many things. Mamoulian makes great use of atmospheric lighting and unnerving angle uses. I think Edmund Golding manages to make this hotel just look opulent and grand and just such a fun place 
to just stay. Howard Hawks just brings a vitality to this violence and reminds you that this is a rise and fall tale without beating you over the head. And then Joseph von Sternberg, if you know the man, you know what you're getting. And he delivers on that front. And then Ernst Lubitsch, like you said, handles these varying different storylines and manages to interconnect them together without making it feel confusing or tangled up. All right, shall we go on to Best Picture? Yes. All right. My 10 nominees for Best Picture. A Farewell to Arms. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Emma. Grand Hotel. Horse Feathers. Lady and Gent. Shanghai Express. Scarface. What Price Hollywood. And The Mummy. I mean, we've kind of gone into all these already. Uh, that I mean, they're they're all these films are so great, and it's it, like I was pleasantly surprised at these films in general, just because of uh, of the way they all like. There, there's not exactly the same type of film. Um, there, occasionally you run into uh, you know kind of similar themes as far as oh the you know man woman and some various but i mean they so they do such interesting things in interesting ways and uh a lot of big ensembles um uh, some smaller stories all in there and i do have to say i just I, I want to say to filmmakers today just as an aside with all these uh with all these films um less is so much more with some of these films they are some of these i believe emma was something like 73 minutes and there was not an inch that i felt like it was it was like oh i need a little more than this it's like it was, it was a fully encompassed story and it was so well put together um and uh i really enjoyed all these films in general and uh, there weren't really many stinkers among them all so uh it was a it was such a pleasant viewing experience of viewing them all I'd have to agree. Like, there's a lot to be said about less being more, and how you can tell a compelling story without going overboard and, like, above and beyond, and just, for lack of a better term, excessive. Yes. Because a lot of movies nowadays can just feel excessive. But a lot of these older movies from the 30s feel rather contained. They can make a point without feeling like they're tripping over themselves. With that said, my nominees are Anus La Liberté, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, A Farewell to Arms, Grand Hotel, I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, Lemillion, Merrily We Go to Hell, Scarface, Shanghai Express, and Trouble in Paradise. And I feel like I've already talked about these movies enough, but I do feel rather satisfied with all these picks and how they turned out. Absolutely. It's a great, like you said, it's a great set of nominees. It's a great year for, it's just every, every film I came on, I'm like, man, 32 is a pretty solid year for film. Like uh, now 
Now, the one thing I will say is, is it's a solid year for film, but uh, I don't really view it as like, oh man, every single one of these is classics. It's like, there's some really good ones, but uh, I'm not sure how many like stone cold classics there are. I'm not sure that's always necessary, just as long as you can yeah. come across some truly great ones and yeah. feel like there's a baseline of really good quality. Absolutely. So with that said, time to announce our winners, starting back at sound recording. My winner for sound recording is Scarface. Um, as we talked about when we talked about this category, um, you know, every sound slaps, cackles, and it just... Uh, those those utterings of the those repetitive gunshots are just so they echo through your brain and they just don't go away and it's such a such a um, such a plus for the movie to have. My winner is a farewell to arms. I feel like there's such good use of sound within the context of the movie, even just portraying the romance but also the war going on around them. Next is Best Art Direction. My winner for Best Art Direction is Grand Hotel. The titular hotel um, being a character among itself, the cliche of all cliches, the, the setting being a character, but man, the Grand Hotel really does that and in those lobbies, the labyrinth of those hotel rooms, the balconies, the where you can sneak around, the corners, um, everything going on in this in this incredible place. Uh, it's uh, it's my uh, it's my winner by, in a runaway, from my opinion. And same here, Grand Hotel is also my winner for just the look of the hotel, and it's really simple as that. So next is Best Cinematography. My winner for Best Cinematography is Shanghai Express. And not just because nobody makes Marlena Dietrich look better when she smokes. Outside of that, there are some really interesting notes to this. Even before it gets to that famous shot, there are some, you know, trains are cinematography porn when it comes to, when it comes to films. Uh, think of... Um, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, that incredible shot by Roger Deakins. But man, when I look at the cinematography of Shanghai Express, they do some really impressive things. And, uh, and it comes through and it's just so beautiful to look at. And then the extra points on top of that for making Marlene Dietrich look as great as she is. Agreed with everything. And for all those reasons, I also picked Shanghai Express. Uh, we get along too well. I get. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> so next is best adaptation. My winner for best adaptation is Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Um, it's like I said, it's such a simple story that they put into such complex, interesting places, and it's not as simple as just making Hyde bad and Jekyll good. It's the duality of it and. It's, it's so encompassed with everything to do with the film, but without that, without the words to make it all hum, it doesn't go, and that's why it's my winner. All good points. My winner is Scarface for taking what on surface might just be a very pulpy throwaway narrative and making it bites. Ben Hecht really knows how to do that. 
and that's why it's my winner. So next is Best Original Story. My winner for Best Original Story is Lady and Gent. Outside of just the flowing from the two sets of stories, um, just the one-liners in the film are hilarious. Um, the little the little pieces that make um, make the actors react in ways, the, the lines that go back and forth, the, the uh, quote-unquote seduction lines, and uh, the way these characters act, it's so human and uh, and so warm. And uh, I just, I, if I haven't established this yet, I really love Lady and Gent. Uh, I very highly recommend you go check it out. Uh, but it is, uh, it is my winner. Very nice. So my winner is Anus La Liberté. Despite some issues I have with it on an emotional level, I think it's such a creative narrative, despite its seeming slightness. And I also just think that it's such a fun diversion. And Renee Claire just has such a good hand for visual imagery and language of the narrative. So next is Best Actress. My winner for Best Actress is was a nominee for Best Actress, um, and she won, I believe, the year before. But my winner is Marie Dressler for Emma. Um, she is so warm and so lovable. And the things that happen to her in this film are so... Um, it's not despicable. It's just the way human nature is. And she never blames anybody. She never fights. She She doesn't... She doesn't do anything that would ever do anything but endear the audience to her, and she does such a grand job. Uh, this beats Marlena Dietrich by a nose, but uh, my uh, my winner is Marie Dressler. She is a very solid winner for this category. I think she really makes the most of that role. But my winner is Helen Hayes for Farewell to Arms. I think she really takes this role and fits herself into it quite well. That final scene where she's on her deathbed is just heartbreaking. It helps that Helen Hayes is wonderful in everything she's in. Yeah, she's a really good actress. So next is Best Actor. My winner for Best Actor is the real best actor of 1932, Frederick Marsh, for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, it, it probably took, uh, upon rewatch of this film, I, I kind of was watching it going, oh, you know, he's a really, really good Jekyll, but I don't know if he's the right Hyde. And then it took a scene and a half for me to be like, no, 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 he's, he might be better as Hyde than he is Jekyll. And he's so so terrible as high just unrepentingly terrible and then so emotionally wrought and just pure and just goodness in dr jekyll as dr jekyll um it's it's the perfect it, it's the best performance of that year uh, bar none and uh he's a he's such a valid winner i would agree my best actor winner it's actually a tie for me Oh, 
Frederick March for, Mr. for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and Paul Muni for Scarface. I chose to have this as a tie because in the history of the Academy, there have been six ties. I decided I would allow myself to have that many. And there will be more to come, but this was the first year that a tie occurred mm. in this category between Frederick March and Wallace Berry for the champ. And I decided I feel it would only be fitting to reward both Frederick March and Paul Muni. I think that Paul Muni displayed his range in just those two films Absolutely. that he was in. And Frederick March has such a challenging role, portraying both Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and making it feel like one person. So next is Best Director. My winner for Best Director is Joseph von Sternberg for Shanghai Express. Um, like you said, the, you know what you're getting when you're getting a uh, film from him, and uh, and he delivers so well. And uh, I mean, the 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 multitude of lived-in characters, uh, the movie star performances, uh, the the captivating narrative, uh, the train all coming together. And it, it's it's also well woven and uh, it's just fascinatingly interesting to watch. Um, frankly, Shanghai Express was the film I was, for some reason, a little hesitant to watch. I thought there might have been some problematic elements. And there are some small quibbles you can have, but it was one of the one of my favorite experiences of all the films I watched. And uh, Sternberg, Von Sternberg is the uh, primary chief of all that. Agreed. My winner is Howard Hawks for Scarface. Again, he just takes the gangster narrative and blows it up in your face. There's such a visceral energy to it. A lot of which is thanks to Hawks, who I learned was a lot more versatile than I initially imagined. I initially associated him with gangster movies and westerns, but he was a lot more than that. Absolutely. And it is admirable. So, next is Outstanding Production. Outstanding Production. My most outstanding production slash best picture of 1932 is Grand Hotel. Um, it's such a such a smorgasbord of actors and actresses doing really interestingly great work and doing fun different things than actually what they normally do it's really fun to see like wallace beery in a film like this and then the champ the from 1931 go back to back um i really liked wallace beery almost put him in my best actor lineup but but the dynamic of the hotel the varying people the varying storylines it's all so well interconnected and captivating you never lose sight of what's going on uh it's just a it it's it's the rightful best picture winner in my mind and i'm frankly glad the academy agreed with me um how about you i completely understand why grand hotel won best picture and i think it does have a lot of staying power even to this day it is just a fun experience and it can go off well no matter what generation you're from 
My winner, however, is Trouble in Paradise. I feel like if I'm going to give Best Actor, Director, and Screenplay to Scarface, I want to mix things up and give something to Trouble in Paradise. And I feel like to give it the outstanding production would feel the most fitting. There's just a fun yet somewhat sad melancholy to this picture that gives a lot of gives it a lot of resonance, and it's just the near peak of Lubitsch. It's easy to see why so many people call this like the quintessential Lubitsch film. Sure. Fantastic. That's a that's a great group of winners and nominees, in my opinion. Yeah. You are no slouch yourself. I appreciate I think that. You, yeah. I appreciate that. Thank so you. I guess next, we are going to talk about sort of the actual ceremony. Something interesting I came across was... What took up a lot of the ceremony was a special Disney cartoon featuring caricatures of all the biggest stars in their most famous roles. I've heard this as well, and uh, it, it's really fascinating to me because, not because of the Disney cartoon itself, just because Disney's still a nominee at this time. He's he's around the ceremony, and I was thinking, well, that's kind of manipulative to be like, hey, can I make this thing for the Academy? By the way, I'm a nominee, so... Yeah, it is does strike me as kind of weird. At least an animated Greta Garbo gets to hug Mickey Mouse. Yeah, and... exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then apparently there were supposed to be no speeches, but they couldn't keep with that. And also, apparently... Wallace Berry's best actor win in tying with Frederick Marsh was supposedly not legitimate, but they let him keep it anyway or something like that. You you showed me this. You showed me this clipping, and I uh, I was blown away by it. Like you, I, I think you tweeted about it and said essentially, this is the original Academy gaffe that they decided to um, kind of overlook. Yeah. I just call it the original Academy gaff because it reminds me so much of like, you know, the recent Best Actor disaster or, yeah, Moonlight La La Land gate. Well, if you well, want to know that, the the slight difference is this would be like, oh, uh, actually Moonlight won, but we gave La La Land the Oscars. It's like, but La La Land didn't win. It's like, ah, it's fine. They can keep it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's essentially what happened there. Well, no, we already gave Beery the Oscar, so we're not going to take it away. So, yeah. Yeah. Insane. Very. And then. I believe is the last ceremony in Prohibition, correct? Yeah. It was. Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. So. Everybody was happier, then, I assume, next year. Yeah. 
And then there's this story in the unmentioned walls of this book I read on the Internet Archive. Shelley Winter said, Frederick March was able to do a very emotional scene with tears in his eyes and pinch my fanny at the same time. <laughs> uh, thank goodness Shelley Winters is American. Otherwise, that would be a really, gr- that would be a really dirty uh, saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you, are you, uh, how are your feelings on Frederick March in general? I think it's great in a lot of things. I think the only thing that I haven't liked him in was Anthony Adverse. Mm. But I just think he's a very dependable actor who was great in both comedies and dramas and very handsome. Yeah, and he, and he really learned how to adapt to his age. Obviously, you know, he's a pretty fairly young guy in, in uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and then you see him in, uh, obviously, Best Years of Our Lives, and he's, he's much more distinguished and much more uh, adult. And not, not even the adult, but more like... He's a, he's a mature guy. He's he's a he's a he's your older dad or the older uncle. He's not necessarily the uh, heartthrob that he once was, but he still was able to adapt to it. Yeah, I agree with that. So, Ben, thank you so much for appearing on this podcast. It was such a fun episode to record. Gabe, I thank you so very much for having me. Um, congratulations on the success of your podcast. It's, I know you're only five episodes in, but I mean, uh, five down 85 to go. Right. So, I mean, uh, yeah. so you are, uh, you're well on your way. Um, and, uh, keep up the good work. And once again, thank you so very much for having me on. You're welcome. Uh, thank you too. This, I do wonder, I posted this on Twitter. Like, I do wonder what my mindset is going to be like two years from now when I'm nearing the end of this. What will my personal reflections be like? Yeah, and, and how how much how much brain power will you have left after just ungodly amounts of movies that you have you have put in there by that time? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like you said, how many how many nineteen twenty nines are you gonna have to run into? Uh, well, yes, yes, you'll get 1941s or, or you'll get uh, you'll, you and you'll have years like this, which are really solid. But how many bad years you're going to have to suffer through? How many great years do you finally get to get to? Um, so, yeah, it's a it, but like I say, congratulations on the success. Thank you so much. So, Ben, how can we find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Neb is Ben uh, Neb is uh, been backwards if everybody keeps asking me um, you can also find me on my blog at ice cream for freaks the number four freaks um, you'll see my reviews and various things to talk about my oscar predictions i have my year and ahead predictions i am betting big on power of the dog you go game jane campion so i'm excited for that um, and then uh, you can also find me writing on uh, the film experience uh, uh, the film experience.net i write about all sorts of stuff i just wrote a review of the first two episodes of marvel's loki That is great to hear. I would recommend that you check his work out. So, you can find me on Twitter at GabeTheSpade with two underscores. You can find me on Letterboxd as Mr. Hulo. You can find me on Instagram at GabeGuarin, my name, with an underscore in between. You can find the Alternate Oscars page at Alternate Oscars on Twitter. 
be sure to rate and review this podcast for visibility's sake. And until next time, sit back and relax, cheers and joy, and thank you for listening to the Alternate Oscars.